Hello and welcome to From the BOLN, the Burnley podcast. I'm Simon Evans and with me is Andrew Greaves, Justin Conley and Chris Borden. And we're here to look ahead to this weekend's game against Newcastle United and also to look at everything that's been going on turf side during this week. How are we doing, gentlemen? Grand, yeah. Very good. Good, thank you. Very good. Very well. Good. Always feel better for a win, even if it's against a, a League Two side and a fairly uh, disappointing League Two side as well. Mm. Looked pretty easy that one, didn't it? It seems. It seems like we were pretty much in control of the of the whole game. I mean, I've I've only seen the highlights, but according to the wireless, Odebert and, and Zaruri were particularly impressive. So that's positive. I think. I think we've we've got to find a way to get Zaruri into the side. I think because yeah. Um, I've always thought it was it was like the real deal, and that 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 pass for that second goal for Brun Larson's goal was sublime, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like to pull something like that off, you, you've got to be able to see it before you do it, before you can even think about what what sort of pass you're going to play. Yeah. The vision he's got is just you know, and the execution of the pass is even better. And we need, I think, we need a bit of that in the Premier League, don't we? Yeah, I think it, it almost, in a way, it's not exactly it. It reminded me of the, the, one of my favourite passes I've ever seen on the turf. Cesc Fabregas's no-look pass to Andre Schürrle uh, on the Friday night. It, it literally, it's just, it's so delicately yeah. weighted, is that pass. But Zerovis is the same, and it's a great, I mean, the ball just comes straight into to him, quick one-two with Jane, that little flick over the top, and it's a lovely finish from Brun Larson as well, but I agree with you. I, I think one of the most telling things is that uh, Sanderberg's header from a corner, you know, set pieces this year. Delivered think, by Zerou. Very, yeah. very, been dis- very disappointing. Um, Sanderberg admitted afterwards he didn't score very many headers, so, you know, it was placed perfectly onto Berge's head. And again, Zerouri, you just think we faff about sometimes with set pieces and we fail to beat the first man or it's flat or whatever. I'm the same as you, you know, of everyone we signed, and, you know, Manuel Benson gets a lot of attention, rightly so, you know, for his goals and things. But Zerori, to me, is the one that is probably the best of all the wingers that we've got. Um, you know, I know post-World Cup, mm. this, you know, January onwards, he perhaps wasn't as effective in all of the games. But I think he's, you know, fully fit. I think he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for me. Absolutely. And played a central role, didn't he? Like more of a number 10 role. Yeah, definitely. Can we, can he get away with that in the Premier League? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised, but... Uh... He's he's just got like you say he's got that. Uh, you look at Benson and we think you know, you, like like Iron Robin, you know what he's going to do. He's going to cut inside and onto that left foot. But Zorori can go down the line and get a ball over with his left, like he did for uh, a certain goal from for Ashley Barnes against uh, that lot down the road, or he can come inside on his on his right and you know like the the, the Sunderland goal that he tried to replicate all season long after that and never quite got there. So, he has. He's got to. You know, when you look at his experiences, going away with Morocco and that unbelievable run they had all the way, you know, to, to the third, fourth place playoff, and that experience plus promotion. Now he's up upper level, and he's had a bit of a, you know, a tough start. You know, not starting the first game, getting sent off, blah blah blah. But uh, he, he he's he's a special player, and uh, you've got to find room for him, and hopefully. You know, despite uh, you know, Colly, you know, Colly Osho doing really well, and uh, Amdouni doing well, you know, just off the right hand side at, at Forest in particular, you got to find a way for Zerori into the side. Yeah, I think I, we think we said last week, didn't we? That, or I think I mentioned it. You know, Colly Osho, at some point, you are going to want to rest him. You know, you are going to mm. want to kind of just, yeah. you know, just give him, take him out of the firing line, let him sit and watch. Because at the end of the day, we're expecting him to play Premier League football without ever really watching Premier League football. You know, obviously probably watch it on TV in Spain, etc. But I think sometimes with these players, a little spell on the bench, a little spell still being in and around, still getting 25 minutes here, 20 minutes there, when, you know, players are tired and things like that and you can run at them. I think he needs probably from if I'm being really picky and it is being really, really picky, he probably will benefit from a little bit of time, you know, a game or two just rested. Let Zerori get back in. Zerori was was 
you know, ridiculous in terms of the way season started. I still now look at that sending off and, you know, there's a flick of the leg out, but it's a winger's tackling. It's a winger's tracking back tackle. Not helped by Kyle Walker, but, you know, he's come back into the side against Salford and, and, and ran that game really, um, alongside Sander Berge, we mentioned with the goal, but uh, again, Berge, really impressive, very much a, a man for, you know, pulling the strings, dictating things, and there's, there's signs, isn't there? You know, to be able to make 11 changes and hmm. navigate a banana skin with inside 30 minutes, you know, I think they beat <clears throat> League One and Championship opposition in the last two rounds, you know, you would expect us to, win. yeah, put leads out on, on, you know, pens, I think it was, but you know, that is a tricky tie. You know, plenty of people. I mean, Luton lost to Exeter. You know, plenty of teams will go there and struggle and things like that. So, you know, we were talking earlier, Sam, weren't we, mm. off off, uh, off recording about the strength in depth that Newcastle have got. Our strength in depth, never known anything like it. To be able to make 11 changes and still be competitive and still win a football match, you know, that's got to be applauded, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. New centre-half, Jacques Cork as well, coming in, French lad mm. on the back. But people don't... People don't mm. No, I mean, that... Cork, and obviously he's played most of his, you know, well, 99.9% of his professional career in central midfield, but he's he's often been that screening midfielder just in front of the, you know, the, the back four. You know, even one who's been, you know, picking up uh, for aerial challenges and he can play there and I'm not suggesting he's going to play there this season but uh, you know maybe in years gone by they might he might have been utilized to, to, to in, in in that slot you know like say he's got that ability to to maintain possession keep the ball fine you know keep it simple but uh, O'Shea I believe he'd like 120 plus passes I think when uh, we all use I mean obviously it's, it's, it's Nowhere near the same level, but we all used to like wet ourselves when you'd see Xavi had like had ninety odd passes in a game for for a centre half to have hundred and twenty passes, albeit against League Two opposition, just shows the dominance and uh, and and, and the, the the style. You know, it's even though they're playing League Two, we're not going to alter it. We're not going to get dragged down to you know a more physical, you know, direct game. We're going to play, you know, you play to our uh, to our system. That you know and. Uh, you know, Al Dakil, I think he's got the most passes in a Burnley shirt in the Premier League, and it's the blueprints there for all to see, isn't it? If, even if Richard Keyes doesn't like it. So there you go. From the Beal Ender podcast, where you can not only hear about the Swiss Messi, but now Daroche is the, uh, the the Burnley Javi. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think it's going to stick that. I think that'll stick. Get that going on social media. Love that. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it was it was only Salford City, so there's a big exactly. asterisk there. But it is. Well, as I was expecting. I mean, you look at you look at their side, and you know the two couple of you know, couple of Fleetwood rejects and and Mary Apper, who must be older than me. But uh, you, know, you looked at I looked at the side that Salford put out, and I thought, you know, even though it's a small ground, you know, the crowd will be predominantly Burnley fans. You know the playoff. The playoffs last year. I mean, they, they limited Salford support, uh, Stockport's uh, support because Stockport would have dominated the stadium. There's, they're one of those clubs that, who, like Fleetwood, who actually supports. Them. You know, it's, they've gone from like seventy odd watching them in the uh, Northwest Counties League. But uh, no, it's, mm. it's it's a breeze, isn't it? But like you know, like, if, if Exeter have got their way to the uh, to the last sixteen, it's. Uh, you know, there, there are a few banana skins in there, but uh, onwards and upwards and uh, Everton away is going to be a fabulous cup tie, I think. Well, let's talk about that one. Yeah, Justin, mm. I mean, reunion with Sean Dash. The, the Dash Derby, they called it on, on the on the draw on Sky, didn't they? I, he said, didn't he? He just sort of said, oh, it's just another game, isn't it? But, I mean, it you've got, it's got to mean something to him, isn't it? I mean, it might have meant more to him if it, if he'd been back at Turf Moor. It being it at their place makes it a little bit less um, important for him. It's got to mean something to Tarky and Dwight McNeil as well, hasn't it? Playing against playing against your old club. I, I mean, I'm not sure how sentimental footballers and managers are these days, but it's it got to give it a bit of extra extra spice, you know. But, oh yeah. But, 
For, for, for our team, though, I mean, I, the, the only guide we've got about who might play is that team that played against Salford. If, if you look at the starting lineup, there's only two players in the team who played under Dyche. There's only Cork and J Rod who, who actually were at the club when, when Dyche was manager, I mean, even though it seems like it was only yesterday. So, I mean, it's a good story, isn't it? But at the end of the day, for me, it looks to just be like a very, very winnable tie. You know what I mean? Winnable time. Talking about squad depth. Well, you see, you've talked about squad mm. depth before, and Burnley's squad depth. But in terms of proven Premier League defenders, not you know, not necessarily, but in terms of like you know, quality of players, Burnley have a greater squad depth than Everton. Mm. I'm led to believe Everton will probably put a strongish side out. You know, not 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 necessarily the full eleven. But in the circumstances they're in, you know, they're having to field a strongish side. And if they do that against, you know, if Burnley make 11 changes again, I think Everton win the game. But uh, it's, it is, you remember, I remember speaking to Sean when he'd just come to the club, uh, sort of October, was it? Exactly, uh, exactly 10 years ago now. And he uh, played Watford not long after. And he, again, he was like, you know, just no sentiment. He's parked and, there's no medals in his in, in his house. There's nothing up on the wall. There's, you, know, you wouldn't know it was a football manager's, you know, former footballer's house. It, that's the way he is. It's no act, you know. It's, mm. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not buying that. This is just another game for Sean Dash, and, and he will say that. I know he'll say that, and he'll say, you know, he might concede that there's a reality. You know, obviously there's a history there, a reality. But <laughs> but I'm not saying. That I'm not buying it because I, I think he'll be desperate to win that game because not because he's got anything against Burnley Football Club. I think he'll, he'll, he'll you know he'll get a great reception from the fans and he'll probably you know even at Goodison Park with their supporters he'll probably still risk a little clap towards the Burnley fans and all all that sort of acknowledgement. At the end of the day, Alan Pay sacked him from a job he'd been doing for a decade when he was convinced he was capable of keeping Burnley up in the Premier League. That would have hurt him, no matter how many podcasts he's been on and said, that's the business, that's the way it is. He will be absolutely <laughs> determined to you, put one over on him. You're better than Darren Farley. No, it's not that good. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not that good. I think Darren Farley was that great, to be honest. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But... um. He will. He'll be desperate to win that game. Yeah. Desperate to win. You know, well, that's it, going back to Watford that time. He had, you know, he had a long history with Watford as player, youth coach, assistant manager, manager. And he never got carried away about going back to Vicarage Road or, you know, winning mm. or seeing his old mates. You know, Troy Deeney, who he basically... You know, turned his life and his career around, that, that sort of thing. It was just, you know, he is he is very sort of you know cold and calculated in that. You know, he talks about speaking to business leaders and you know that. Yeah. It, it's you know. It, it, I think he's. Get to, yeah. In the he's the he's the kind of he's the kind of manager who's desperate to win every game, isn't he? You know, he's. He, yeah. are, you, are we saying are we saying he's he wants to win this game? More than he wants to, you know, win in the Premier League, or or more than he wants to. Ah, he, 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 I know what you mean. There's a little bit of an, there's a little bit of an edge to it, probably, and he, and he has got a point to prove. But you know, he, it's it, the job he's in now, and he's under a bit of pressure, isn't he? You know, they've not had the best uh, start to the season. I mean, I, I think they've turned it around a little bit now, but he. His his job is is on the line, you know. If we if we if we thrash him, you know, it could well it, it could well be you know the end for him. But I just think oh, what a story that would be. No, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he's under that much pressure. But do you know what I mean? It's like he, he, every every Premier League manager is under pressure to win every game, whatever competition yeah. it's in. And and at the end of the day, um, the the this competition is not his priority, is it? His priority is keeping Everton in the Premier League. Yeah, and we know he's not. We know he's not a cup, a cup manager, don't we? I mean, we've been on the wrong end. Yeah, of I can say that we, again. We were discussing Lincoln at home. We were discussing Aki Stanley. You know, cups are a bit of an inconvenience to him. But what I do think he'll be after, you know, they won at Brentford, followed that up with a win at Villa in the cup. 
you know, he'll be sensing a bit of a chance to build a bit of momentum. Um, mm. You're right, he has been under pressure. You know, I read somewhere that he can't be sacked because of some clause in his contract whilst a potential takeover is happening. Um, I, I think from what I gather, he's well protected. I think he's quite a smart guy in terms of when he signs contracts, he's, he's well protected. I, I kind of agree with Simon that I think there'll be an edge to it. I think there'll definitely be an edge with Steve Stone um, and, and Ian Warne, because I think them two are probably a bit more tribal, shall we say, if that's being diplomatic mm. and kind. So I think there'll definitely mm. be edge with, with Stone and, and Ian Warne. Um, but I, I do think Dyche will take probably a little bit of extra satisfaction if he does get one over on us. I'm not sure he'll allow that to kind of, you know, he'll never say that in public, you know, as you as you say, it'll be the oh, no, reality no, of the situation and all of the well-trotted Mills and Boons line that we used to get off him when he was here. It'll be fine margins. It'll be market leaders in terms of what they spent in the transfer window. All of it. We'll be able to get the old Daesh bullshit bingo cards back out again. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it because I think they are, you know, we keep looking at kind of testers. Newcastle on Saturday's not really a, a litmus test for us because I think nobody's expecting us to go there and win. But it's about performance. Can we keep improving? Can we limit damage limitation? Can we sneak summit? Can we get a draw? I know this is a cup tie, but I think we mentioned that run of games that includes Fulham and Bournemouth and uh, Luton, Chelsea, etc. But, but you tag the cup game onto that because it is a, a test of strong uh, test of squad depth it's a test of can we manage the emotions it's a test of you know playing at a goodison part which is you, you know you know what you're going to get at goodison um in terms of the atmosphere and can you quieten them down can you get them to turn on everton you know it is a bit of an away game unlike away games that we'll face up until then be it in the cup or not you know, so I think there is a bit of a, um, you know, for us, it's a bit of a test and a bit of a, can we see where we're up to? You know, where are we in the grand scheme of things? Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. No, should be a good one. Should be an interesting one. And I, I don't think for one minute we're going to be hearing Sean Dyche interviews with him saying, I will love it, you know, but he, uh, but he would love it. Uh, right. <laughs> New, Newcastle United up next. They've had a... Interesting season so far, as we uh, discuss later on with our uh, guest, Ian Murta, in a special Newcastle, not debrief, preview, really, with uh, Ian Murta, uh, Northeast journalist. One of the things uh, that is interesting, though, is, 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 is the form they're in, just coming into this, really, because they had such, a, such an impressive start, didn't they, against Aston Villa, where we, we were all saying on the first week that they, that performance stood out to us. And then they sort of lost their way a little bit. But then, you know, they go and get a draw at AC Milan. They, they beat Sheffield United 8-0. And then they made 10 changes, I think, in midweek and still beating Manchester City, who, of course, also made lots of changes. But still, um, Justin, Newcastle, it, it, it is a tough one, though, isn't it? Uh, no doubt. Even though um, it's not that long since the the sort of big money takeover and they've not had that many sort of transfer windows to spruce the squad up. Eddie, Eddie's done a fabulous job there, hasn't he? As as you would expect him to do. I think it's all it's already one of the toughest games of the season for any team in the Premier League going to going going up there and, and taking them on. They've, like you said, they struggled a little bit after starting really well against Villa, but then they, I think they beat they beat Brentford, didn't they? And then and then the, the eight nil against um, against Sheffield United, uh, they've steadied they've steadied the ship a little bit, just in time for us to go up there and see how we get on. Um, I, I mean, I don't think you can read too much into that cup win over City because this will be obviously be a different team that we we play. I'm not expecting too much, but um, you know we don't know what's going to happen, do we? That's why we play the games. Um, they've got better, but but so have we. We've got particularly defensively. I think it's a real shame that Lyle still think Lyle Foster's going to be missing again, and I think he's going to be really key when he gets back into the into the side. But I, I, I genuinely think we've got enough to give them a game. Um, and I, I do, I do honestly believe that we're going to surprise somebody pretty soon. And you know, this could be it. Yeah, I think that. I agree. I think, you know, 
it is one of them fixtures that, you know, we keep saying it's a free hit. It's a free hit because we've not got into the winnable games yet, have we, apart from Forest away. But it, I, I genuinely think it's it's a test of two styles of football that will complement each other in terms of a game for the neutrals. But it's, you know, I'm fascinated to find out how our setup goes against their setup. Like you say, the one, the one kind of major... Um, Negative is the the lack of Lyle Foster, but you know if we can get Zorori into that game, you know, test Zorori against the fullbacks at Newcastle, you know, stick some balls into the box, get on top of Nick Pope, you know, look at that press. We know Nick Pope's not going to be using his feet very much. We discussed that with Ian. You know, there's lots of little bits within that, but ultimately what you're looking for is that step up in performance again, aren't we? We're looking for that. Are we comfortable playing out from the back? You know, are we comfortable? You know, getting them passes. Are we comfortable working the midfield? You know, third. All of them little bits that we talked about last week in terms of what do we look for in in a performance when you're not really expecting to win. You know, you're looking for improvements all the time. You're looking for are we taking steps forward? Because if we take enough steps forward, when the likes are looting away, Bournemouth at home, Fulham away, when they come, that's when it matters. You know, get yourself ready for them games. They're the ones that are going to decide where you finish at the end of the season. You know, not Newcastle away. You know, Newcastle away, you know, you almost kind of write it off. Whatever you get up there, that's fine. Get at least a point against them at home. They're going to be they're going to be miles ahead of us. You know, they'll be top four again this year, you'd suspect, possibly. Um, four clean sheets on the bounce, including a trip to San Siro, as Simon said, trip to Bramall Lane. There'll be plenty of teams who don't come away from Bramall Lane with, with a clean sheet. And at home too albeit an understrength city side, but by an understrength Newcastle side. So, you know, they are they are a team which will, you know, will be a bit, you know, will be tough to break down, won't give away a lot of goals. Um, but, you know, as company, his press conference earlier said, you know, it's one of the big tests. You mark it down as one of the big, big tests at the start of the season, but it's a game where you can prove that you belong in the Premier League and, you know, whatever happens, as long as we put in a performance, I think people will come away and go, you know what, we give them a good game, we perhaps nick a point. You know, I'm not ruling out a positive result at all, but, you know, we know we're going into that as, as underdogs, big time. I say, I'm, I'm, the, the one thing is that, that, that concerns you is that, I say, they've got four successive clean sheets, they conceded 33 all season last year, you know, joint top defence with uh, Manchester City. Supposedly, Eddie couldn't build a defence. He certainly has done, and it's a it's a regular you know a regular unit he puts out there usually, and it's you know it's usually like sort of trips, Burn, Botman, you know, Share or something like that. It's pretty regular. They'll miss Barnes. He's got a problem with his with his toe, and you know that losing that little you know bit of pace, you know, it helps because they do have. I mean, if they they play. Isaac up front, he's, you know, he's, he's pacey and powerful. You know, Wilson, similar. Uh, you know, Trips is getting uh, assists aplenty like we're capable of. But we can. That's yeah, I think I think we're capable of getting at them. And like I say, the, it is interesting with, with, with Pope. Do they, are they brave enough to go that high up the pitch and uh, and press him, get, you know, get at him when he's got the ball at his feet? You know, so many sides you're watching at the moment where the goalkeepers are just holding on to the ball for what seems eons because nobody's going to press them. Nobody will press Edison and, and, and uh, nobody will press Raya, etc. It's, uh, it's, it's bizarre. Like Verbruggen was a similar one at the, at the weekend. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it was a tough game when they were, uh, when they were rubbish. Under Steve Bruce, let's be honest, because the you know the crowd get up there and get you know get get behind them. It's uh, it's an intimidating place to play, but uh, now they're a, a good unit. Uh, like, I, I, say, I, I fully expected them to finish top four with the improvements they made over the summer. And uh, yeah, it's one of them. You're expecting Gimares to fire at some stage, and uh, you know, he, he, he's had a quiet, uh, quiet start to proceedings. But uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> you keep looking for that winnable game, and Luton's the first one, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, I, I'm quietly, I have some strange sort of optimism about it in, in the sense that the thing I really liked about the Forest performance was there was something about playing away from home which made us uh, play a little bit differently. 
So I think I think at home we expect, even in the Premier League, to have the majority of possession and to be able to sort of dictate the tempo a little bit, like we did against United for long stretches. Whereas at Forest, it were backs against the wall. We got to battle. We got to play a little bit more on the counter-attack, which we've said before could be an interesting route for us, given the, the pace of our wingers and so on. So you, I really like that Forest performance for that reason. They were a bit more of a battling sort of display, which, you know, you don't... We didn't get a battling display against United um, and certainly didn't against uh, Spurs. So mm. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's our back four. You know, are they going to turn up and be be a solid unit as, we, as we've seen they can be? Or are they going to be fragile again? Um, and it is it is tough. It is a tough one. There's no doubt about that. But I just have a little bit of, of optimism about it for this one. Because somewhere along the line, in every season we've survived in the Premier League, one or two of these games that you're not supposed to win, you end up winning, don't you? And that helps you points telling no end to go and do it. You know, we've, we've mm-hmm. beaten teams like Liverpool and Chelsea away from home. So, you know, it's not impossible, is it? No. Anything else catching our eye around the Burnley world? It's been a quiet sort of week off the field. There's been no sort of innovative announcements. Has there? Uh, it seems to like the, the the board and Alan Pace seem to be leaving it to Vincent to run a football team at the moment. Imagine that. The only thing is the, ben- yeah, the Benson injury. That's the only concern, isn't it? Obviously, Foster's got another game of his uh, suspension to serve, but. Uh, He's like, talking about fragility. That, you know, Benson, and you know, he gets a bit of a knock, and he's uh, he's out again. And well, who, who knows how long it's. But again, he, like Zorori, he's had a stop-start uh, season. Probably you know, more more stop than start. But the, the sooner we can get Benson and, and Zorori uh, firing all cylinders, the better. Yeah, kind of proves though that you know the amount of wingers we brought in. I know we were quite critical about the amount of wingers, but you know there's obviously method to the madness there, isn't there? In terms of we are going to go through a lot of wingers in games. We probably average about four wingers per game. You know, we we do we do need players in those areas. Um, we've discussed you know Vincent Company's um, concept of you know, solid places not really being a thing and everyone's got a bit more freedom. But, you know, you do see it with Benson a little bit, a little kick on the ankle and he's down. He tries to run it off and four or five minutes later, he's signalling to come off. Again, hopefully it's not too bad. But the amount of wingers we've got, it's a good job Collie Osho's kind of started quite well. It's a good job with um with Goodmanson and we still don't know whether Goodmanson's gonna be fit for this weekend with that that injury that forced him off. Brun Larson coming in. It's a good job that we've got these wingers. You know, you think back to some of the recruitment drives and uh here we go, Claxon Alert, the Dale Stevens summer. Um we wouldn't have had enough players to to fill those slots and to play the system that we play. Um so there was method in the the company madness of buying every winger with a Belgian passport or his grandma had once visited Bruges on a day trip. It, it, it was it was interesting too, wasn't it? I don't know if you'd read the read the interviews with Andros Townsend uh, this week where he was, he was talking about this very thing. He was saying, you know, although obviously he's clearly quite disappointed not to have earned a contract and uh, he said he always broke down in tears when company took him aside and said, look, we, we don't... Apparently the explanation is that, um, you know, they didn't want a 30-plus winger blocking the sort of route for these younger players to come through. And he, he sort of held his hands up and said, I've been seeing how Burnley are playing with Collie Show and, you know, Brun Larson and all the other young, you know, Trezor. He's, he understands now and he thinks sort of begrudgingly, he's, he sort of said, yeah, company's obviously done the right thing there because these players coming through. Uh, they need to be playing games, you know. Uh, and if I'd been there, maybe uh, I would have got in the way with that. Uh, in the way of that, it's a shame he hasn't. I'm surprised he hasn't picked up a club actually, because yeah. the way he played for us in that in those pre-season games, he was fantastic. Benfica game, he was great, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. linked yeah. with a third division Saudi club that never materialised. Apparently, had been sold a bit of a 
yeah, yeah, we definitely want you, definitely want you. Again, pretty big money. I mean, I'm I'm going to spend the next couple of months until January getting really fit and then try and tout myself around the Saudi third division. <laughs> it must be. I mean, given the quality of the Saudi top league, the third division must be as bad as I play on a Monday night at Soccer Burnley, I have to say. But I'm the same as you. I'm really surprised no one's taken a punt on him. Championship sides, hopefully if he can stay fit, because he clearly got himself match fit he was superb in pre-season maybe we see a club who perhaps have an injury and are sitting eighth to tenth in the championship come january or you know come whenever because he's free he's a free agent as long as they've got space in their luton could have a sniff you know they've got two sort of like wrecking ball center forwards you know again getting on the end of a andros townsend cross you know you know they're taking a punt on barkley Mm. Well, Townsend, Townsend was a better bet to me. I think Barkley's already injured. Isn't he? Yeah. As is Laconga. Laconga, who we were linked with out for two or three months with a, a hammy, hamstring injury, I think, as well. So Phil, Phil, Phil Jones, you know, joking aside, Phil. I mean, Phil Jones is thirty-one, and mm. he's much maligned at United. He, he, he's not got a club, and it's the danger for these players these days that if they, you know, they, they, they end up out of contracts and if. Hmm. They don't get picked up immediately. They're on the scrappy. He, David De Gea's uh, considering retiring because yeah, nobody's, yeah. nobody's picked him up. That's incredible. I mean, that's staggering, isn't <laughs> it? You know, he's a gold, golden glove winner in the Premier League yeah. last year. Insane. And he was linked with Bayern Munich, Lazio, linked with a whole host of clubs in Spain, hmm. Serie A, Bundesliga, and nobody's taken a punt even as a second, you know, very, very good backup keeper. You know, if you're fighting on a couple of fronts in Europa League, domestic cup competitions you'd think why wouldn't you take a punt on someone like De Gea you know the younger goalkeepers mm. within your squad will learn a lot from that and as we've discussed several times they've gone from a keeper who can't use his feet to a keeper who can't use his hands so we've got the <laughs> next instalment of the Anana show this weekend I don't know United have got but um, but yeah I'm, I'm very very surprised I, I'm even more surprised when Chris revealed that Phil Jones is only 31 I can't yeah. believe he's only 31. But I, again, there would, there would have been a time when I'd have said, would you get Phil Jones in? Absolutely you would. Like you say, much maligned at United. But you get him fit and you get him a run of games and he is still, I would suggest, a, a good quality centre-half for a, for a top-end championship club. That little bit of experience that knows what it takes to, to compete at the highest level. That is absolute gold dust for a championship side. So... Yeah, wish wish Townsend all the best because, you know, he looked a good player when he was with us for that short time. He did, yeah, yeah, and it was it was generous comments of him, really. I thought they were quite mature comments from him. Um, although I did wonder if part of it is how much of it is him seeing Kolyosho and other players and thinking, "Ooh, yeah," and how much of it is him seeing Redmond, who's in that position that Townsend would have been in, and he isn't getting a kick, is he? So, you know, you wonder if he's thinking I'd probably been in the same position as, as Redmond on mm. the bench at Burnley. It's not the way you want to really end your career, is it? Anyway, let's uh, get back to Newcastle now. Um, thanks very much, guys, for, for that chat. And we will uh, continue talking Burnley-Newcastle after this break with Ian Murta. Ian Murta, Northeast journalist, uh, covered Newcastle United for many, many years, knows them inside out, and he's coming up right after this break. So Ian, it's, it's been a it's been an interesting start to the season for Newcastle. I mean that game against Aston Villa right at the start, everyone sat up and took notice and thought Newcastle are for real this season. Then a bit of a wobble, but this past week it seems like uh, they've refound things a little bit. Uh, where are Newcastle at the moment? You, you've summed it up perfectly there. I, I can remember at half time in the Aston Villa game and. I think it was 2-1 of Villa were just about getting getting on top, funny enough. No one would have predicted that would be 5-1, but there was superb second half. Then, of course, no disgrace losing at Manchester City. Pressed the self-destruct button at home to Liverpool and then turned in a pretty abject performance at Brighton. That's when a lot of questions were asked. Are they the same team as last season? They went to, ask, uh, to AC Milan in the Champions League and even then... People were not so much doubting, but they were still asking questions because Newcastle were fortunate to get a golden yeah. straw in the San Siro. Then, of course, they answered superbly. 
with an 8-0 win at Bramall Lane. Quite extraordinary result, followed up by a 1-0 win on Wednesday night against Manchester City again in the Carabao Cup. But it, it, it is strange. I still think it is far too early to say that Newcastle will repeat what they did last season, you know. So I think there's still one or two questions hang, hanging over the, the team. Yeah, I mean, there's been a bit of a change to it, hasn't there? The midfield seems a, a little bit different with, obviously, Tonali's come in there. Um, but is, is it what, what, what's changed from last year mainly about Newcastle? Well, first of all, Eddie Howe wanted to strengthen the squad. And I think on the evidence of last night's game against Manchester City, he has done that. Newcastle changed all 10 outfield players. Nick Pope was the only survivor from the game at Bramall Lane. And there were debuts, starting debuts for Hall and Livermento. Livermento was man of the match. The young 16-year-old Lewis Miley came into midfield, albeit he only survived 45 minutes. And in the second half, Bruno Gimiresh and who else? Anthony Gordon came on and changed the game. So, yes, there are changes. Not Apart from Tonali, not so many changes to the actual, what you consider the first-choice lineup, Simon. Right. But there is a debate raging about whether Tonali and Gimeresh can play in the same side. And I don't think we've got the answer yet. What we do know is that Newcastle look better with Sean Longstaff in. Now, Sean Longstaff is not as technically gifted as those players. He's certainly not got the profile or the pedigree of them. But what he does possess is football intelligence, incredible work ethic, and it just works with Gives him that balance. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as we all know, football is, is not, is not uh, one on paper. And you can write down the strongest side, but that doesn't necessarily mean that when they go out on the grass, they are the strongest side. Yeah, I mean, the, the team for Burnley fans looking at Newcastle, there's two mm. players obviously jump out straight away to them. Uh, two players who were extremely popular, and I'm sure will get a good reception from the few thousand up in the in yep. the gods. Um, obviously, Nick Pope and, and Kieran Trippier. I mean, Trippier seems to have really... You know, he's, he seems to be very popular with Newcastle fans, as he has been with fans everywhere he's been. Is that is that a fair assessment? He's well, absolutely. I, I was gonna, I was going to say that they're arguably the first two names on the team sheet, but they are, they are of course, because they're number one and two. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Kieran Trippier, he, he joined Newcastle when they were fighting a relegation battle. He left Atletico Madrid, and yeah, and uh, that first season, it was as much his influence off the pitch as on it. Uh, you know, he is arguably Newcastle's most important player. Uh, when I covered England, I mean, he 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 was influential for England as well, albeit mm-hmm. he might not even be England's first choice right back or even second choice. You know, there's, a, there's Walker and arguably James ahead of him. But for Newcastle, absolutely superb signing, incredible influence and very impressive for footballer and human being, really. And, of course, although in name... Jamal Lascelles is the club captain, but the team captain is is Trippier, and he's a wonderful leader. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Burnley fans would love to see him see him end his career at the club. I mean, there was there was a bit of speculation that he was very good friends with Daesh. I think personally, doesn't he? They keep in touch with texts and all that. Even before he went to Newcastle, there were some rumours that Burnley might somehow be able to to prize him back. Hugely popular with the Clarets, and and Pope Pope seems to have. Uh, Settled in, is there any doubts about him at all? Uh, listen, I think we know that he he isn't the best keeper with his feet. No. But he's certainly, I would argue, in the top three or four in terms of reflexes. You know, I know the last season, Newcastle fans felt he should have been England's number one. I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that they'd, that Jordan Pickford was from Sunderland. But um, you know, that's quietened down a bit now. You know, he, he there, there is that um, question mark about his footballing abilities, but as a goalkeeper, he, he's he's first class. He's pulled off some absolutely wonderful... Yeah, yeah, tremendous. I mean, I think... I don't know if you recall last season, there was a, in a goalless draw at Selhurst Park uh, 
in January or February produced quite outstanding save. I can't remember who from. And then right at the end of the season, Newcastle drew nil-nil with Leicester. It was the, the point they needed to clinch a top four finish. And he had quite literally nothing to do for 89 minutes. Then he pulled off this wonderful, wonderful save. And they say that's the hallmark of a good keeper when, when they can keep their concentration for so long and then produce something like that when, when they've had nothing to do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He's, uh, I mean, we've, we've discussed it on our podcast quite a bit. We had uh, Brian Jensen, the former Burnley goalkeeper, on talk, who's, a, who's a goalkeeping coach at Shrewsbury now, talking about this whole business about goal, goalkeepers being good with their feet and is that being prioritised at the expense of goalkeepers who are good with their hands. That's um, right, yeah. But, and Pope's an interesting one, but I do think it'll hold him back internationally, yeah. I remember about 20 years ago, there was a debate about should goalkeepers control the six-yard box or should they control the 18-yard box? And I remember, you know, Shea Given, who is arguably the one Premier League keeper who, who's who's been better than Nick Pope, there, there was mild criticism that, that he was only a six-yard a six, a six specialist rather than 40 miles down the road, if you remember Mark Schwarzer, who was, a, who, who was yeah. tremendous at... at, at commanding the whole area and defenders knew that he would come out right to the edge of the box to claim a ball and I remember talking to to one or two centre-halves in fact one of them was, was um, at the Manchester City game last night Steve Howie, if you remember him yeah yeah uh, and uh, Steve said it doesn't really matter as long as the centre-halves know what a keeper's going to do right. we don't mind the keeper staying on his line if he's always going to stay in his line we don't mind to keep it coming out of the edge of the box if he's always going to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it not, Nick, Nick Pope, I think he, he's uh, probably in the middle of that. He doesn't, he doesn't command his whole area, but he commands a, a sizable proportion of it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Greasy, uh, looking at Newcastle, you have uh, any thoughts, questions for Ian? Yeah, I just, I'm really kind of um, interested in the Eddie Howe dynamic. And mm. I, I kind of half expected him to be almost like the the, the kind of night watchman. Um, when the the kind of when he came in, I didn't think he'd last once the kind of Saudi regime was was in. I thought they'd look for that kind of you know star manager. Now they've not necessarily done that with players. Yeah. Is there any kind of surprise amongst you know with you or with the Newcastle fans that Eddie has lasted as long as he has? And perhaps even, you know, achieved what he has, which is, you know, fantastic. Answering the second part of, of your question first, yes, there is a surprise. He has overachieved. He's done an absolutely exceptional job. He, he's a very decent human being, and he's a very, very decent manager. When he was appointed, he was second choice, if you remember. Unai Emery yeah. uh, was offered the job and turned it down. And he came in, nobody really knew what, what was going to happen because, of course, although he'd established himself at Bournemouth, his last season there did end in relegation. And the first few weeks at Newcastle, they didn't win, attempted to draw a lot of games. <coughs> now, since then, you know, he's, he's proved himself. He's hugely popular with, with Newcastle fans. But, and this is something we don't know, this this Saudi regime, nobody knows how they will react to a, a losing run if there is one. They did lose three in a row, and there, there was a little bit of talk, not so much among Newcastle fans, more the media really, yeah. saying, is he under pressure? And, um, you know, when you've got a club whose who's sworn aim is to be number one in the world, then the, the stakes are high. Uh, he, he is, if he did have critics three weeks ago that he's answered them with um, four clean sheets in a row. And uh, people people forget that. That was just pointed out to, to me last night when I was writing my Manchester City report. Newcastle haven't conceded a goal, I think, in, in um, it's now six six oh, well over six hours of football. So, you know, the, the fact is, he is proving himself all the time. And I would argue that he is as safe as any manager in, in, in the Premier League. I mean, you know, Klopp and uh, Cartiola not, notwithstanding. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, I found it a really kind of interesting because when he was at Burnley, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got to kind of look at the context. And mm. when he was at Burnley, he was, you know, a young manager, untested. I've watched some of the documentary, the Newcastle documentary, which I think is fascinating. I love them docs um, at the best stuff. But I, think it's kind of... <laughs> I think it's I think it's a, a horribly uh, uh, sugared brochure. You know, yeah, it, they are, aren't they? I mean, the Burnley yeah. one we were discussing was about the same, but there seems to be a bit of a steal about Eddie that I never expected when I saw him at close quarters at Burnley when mm. I used to be in the press box at Burnley and in the press conferences. He's very kind of timid, almost kind of unsure. He looks to be a bit, you know, my wife said the other day, God, he looks like he's grown up weirdly. He kind of, he no longer looks like a, a Mine teenager. said the same, actually. You yeah. know what I mean? He, yeah. he looks like he's got a bit of, you know, world weariness about him. and the style of football he plays, whenever I see Newcastle, always looks really pleasing and in keeping with what the fans up there expect. You've got yeah. exciting players. I never really ever drew that comparison with Eddie Howe, exciting football, four clean sheets on the bounce. I don't think he ever achieved yeah. two or three clean sheets on the bounce at Burnley. It used to be, you know, we might score four, but we'd need to because we'd concede three. Right. It, it's kind of... Is that right? Is that, do you think there's a steeliness about him and, you know, like I say, an exceptional character, great human being, very thoughtful? Is that added steel what makes him one of the safest managers? It's, inter it's interesting the point that you made um, uh, just a moment ago, that he seemed quite timid at times. Now, when he first joined, and, of course, the... The Saudi takeover was hugely controversial, still is, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we've heard the last of that, but that's by the by. But Newcastle played at Chelsea and they, the London media basically grilled him. We, we'd grilled him as well in, in weekly press conferences. And he was a little bit like a rabbit in headlights uh, when he was asked, how can you, how can you justify working for... For an owner with, yeah. with, with such a, a, a dreadful human rights record. Since then, I think he's been well advised. He, because he is articulate, uh, he he will step step out those situations quite easy. But basically, he does that by saying, "I am here as a football man. You know, that's my responsibility. You need to look people." Which, which. Is fair enough, I suppose. I mean, not everyone could be as as uh, articulate as say Thomas Tuchel was at Chelsea, and if if you remember, he on yeah. the Abramovich issue, I think I think he was very good. Uh, yeah, uh, you see, you see a, a funny you, you see the funny sides to to Eddie. He his face lights up when he talks about his family. I don't think he's very he, he he's articulate, he's intelligent, he is is helpful, but I wouldn't call him charismatic. I think his 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 life is relatively straight laced. You know, he'll say, "I'll be go, I'll go back home after a win." He say, "I'll go back home and have a coffee and watch the match." You know, he is very much a, a football phone, a, a football file. You know, he is obsessed with the game, and you can't imagine him watching games until one, two in the morning, and, and to, to pick out faults or pick out something that that he wants to pass on to, to the players. I I've heard. Though not so much from him, although just before the the Carabao Cup final in February, we were asking him about about the influences in, in his life, and of course he lost his mother when he was at Turf Moor, didn't he? And I think that I think that did uh, upset his equilibrium. And I don't, I've never heard him, or you might have, but I've never heard him use that as an excuse. But Eddie Howe watches have said that was very much a mitigating factor in why. It didn't. The Midas touch didn't necessarily work at Burnley. Yeah, I think it, I think it, I think we all kind of assumed, or you know, it was implied that that's the reason he decided to go back to Bournemouth. Was, yeah. Obviously, he was spending quite a lot of time from his family. I think his wife had just given birth mm. around about the time that his mum had died as well. But that's right. I, I think you mean about that charisma. I remember Chris on our podcast. Um, um, his dress sense at times, Simon will attest to. his, his kind of. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting, you know. And he once came in in this big scarf, and Eddie and him had the conversation about this scarf. And it was very kind of a bit, you know, with Dice, he would always talk about music and things like that. Whereas Eddie, you didn't get the impression that he had much outside of his life other than his family, his wife, his children, and football. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just fascinated by how well it's gone at Newcastle. And, like I say, I think most Burnley fans would wish him the best. I, I don't think, you know, after the way... 
Owen Coyle had left a few years earlier, we, you know, there's still a lot of acrimony towards him, but I think there was just a bit of a disbelief and he came out and said, actually, he took the Burnley job because it was the one people least expected him to take. Yeah. When was, ja- was, Jason, was Jason Tindall with him at Turf Moor? Yeah, yeah, he was. Like, you know, because, I mean, we, I, I don't know him a lot, but, uh, you know, obviously he lives in a, in a very hot country because he's permitted. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, he, he's... There's there's an in joke in there on social media. He always he always likes to be the first first one to shake a manager's hand, and he, and you know there's a lot of par- paranoid remarks about how the 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 Premier League introduced the only one man in a technical area, and they say they've done that just to stop Jason Tindall standing alongside Eddie. The Jason Tindall rule, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, clearly they work well together. I know uh, Tindall is the one who. Is the one who concentrates on set pieces, for instance, and uh, Eddie has never shy to, to pass on pass on compliments and to say, you know, this this isn't just me. It's not even a double act. He he's mm. he's got a team around him, and he says, you know, he's merely the first among equals. Yeah, Tyndall was always interesting. We were discussing him on the WhatsApp group we have earlier, kind of. You know, I quite like him. I think he's great, and he doesn't. He clearly doesn't take himself too seriously. He, he'll, he'll know about the social media memes yeah. and the. I the, think he does. Yeah, yeah. He plays up to it, doesn't he? But yeah. again, that dynamic between them two for me is fascinating because you know they don't look like two people who would naturally want to spend a lot of time together, going out to pub together. But they're clearly very close, and yeah. you know, tight knit feel of that that backroom staff, um, which again he probably didn't necessarily have at Burnley. Um, mm. appears to be what's what's breeding this incredible success for for for, for Newcastle. Yeah, you 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 mentioned earlier how ruthless he is, and sometimes I think he is, but other times, I mean, he's he's kept Matt Ritchie at, at the club despite he doesn't play. He, yeah. you know, he he was on the bench last night, didn't come on. Lascelles did. Dummett had his first game for. For 14 months, I think his last game was in the the, the League Cup at, at Tramia. Uh, he won't play against Burnley, despite an outstanding performance. But you know, uh, he will praise a player to the hilt, and then perhaps leave him out. For instance, this time at the press conference last Friday, he was talking about how Tonali. And Bruno Gomez, he said, of course, of course, they, they can play together because there has been a debate whether they can or whether the, you know, Newcastle need a more out and out number six. And if you picked up the Saturday papers, it was all about Eddie Howe giving the vote of confidence and uh, to Tonali. What happened when the team sheet came out at Sheffield United 24, 30 hours later, Tonali was on the bench. So, you know, I think, you know, a lot of that is because he's looking to reshuffle his pack. He's having to manage in, in a way he's never managed before because he has got such a powerful squad and Newcastle are attacking four fronts, you know, Champions League, League Cup, the, the league, and, of course, the FA Cup when it comes around in the new year. Well, I mean, that leads me on to what I was going to ask you about, about Saturday's game specifically. Yeah. Obviously, with... The Champions League there, and it's PSG, isn't it, coming yeah, up straight yeah. afterwards, which is uh, which is when it starts to really feel, I would imagine, for people in Newcastle who were back in the Champions League now, PSG at home on a Wednesday night. Um, how, how, is he going to rotate heavily, do you think, at the weekend? Well, he rotated yesterday. And, yeah. uh, I mean, there are certain players who you, you'd argue are equals. For instance, if you put... Wilson in for Isaac, are they are they necessarily weakening the side? If if um, Gordon plays or Armouron, you know, is it is it a, is there a weakness? So, you know, the, there will there will be. I would imagine there'll be one or two changes from from uh, the the game at Bramall Lane last Sunday, but it, it will be a strong side, and Eddie Howe, knowing him would be 100% focused on Burnley and there will be he will answer no questions whatsoever tomorrow's press conference about the Champions League game three days later four days later 
I don't know if you've had a chance to see see much of Burnley this year or or the or the side last year in the Championship with company, but obviously it's a very different uh, Burnley team than mm. than Sean's side. How do you think uh, Newcastle match up against a team that likes to play a lot of sort of possession and and, and that kind of football? And sort of. Yeah, I, I saw I saw Burnley at uh, at Sunderland last year, and uh, when they were. Sunderland outstanding in the first half, 2 0 up. And of course, Burnley won the game 4 2. And I remember seeing Alistair Campbell afterwards. I, I know him vaguely, and uh, he was very, very impressed with that performance. Um, listen, I think uh, in Vincent Company, that Burnley have one of the most respected and likable managers in the, in, the, uh, in the country. And it's very easy to like a side who, who are down at the bottom, and they're, they're no threat at at the moment, and it probably won't be this season. But having said that, Newcastle will, I suspect, Newcastle will feel that Burnley are a class above Sheffield United. The 8-0 win last season, Sheffield United, they gave one of the most shocking performances you will ever see. I mean, the, the... the way the way that uh, Almiron scored, it was a great impression of Moses imparting the Red Sea. You know, it, some of those goals were were criminal to con- to concede. Newcastle should beat Burnley. You know that. I know that. I always think that the first twenty minutes are crucial at St James's Park. If Newcastle get an early goal, they can do anything. I remember that game against Tottenham last year. And it and it was frightening, and uh, they, you know, were they five nil up after twenty minutes? It was ridiculous. But the way to play Newcastle was how Brentford played them a fortnight ago, and Newcastle won one nil with a goal, just one goal in the second half. Brentford were the better team for arguably, for arguably uh, forty minutes, and uh, they knew how to play Newcastle. And I think Rico Henry, the left back, when he got injured, that proved to be a little bit of a turning point. But um, the Burnley, you know, if, if Burnley play open, well, yes, they'll present Newcastle with problems, but they'll also present Newcastle with chances. So it's a gamble, isn't it? They, I, I, they will play very differently, I suspect, to how Burnley did. They will probably try and play in the same way. And you won't want to hear this like Aston Villa did. Aston Villa went toe-to-toe with Newcastle, and for 40, 45 minutes, they were as good as Newcastle. But, of course, in the end, they were on the wrong end of a hiding. Yeah, we've seen a few games like that uh, this year for Burnley so far, but they seem to have tightened up a little bit since they brought Charlie Taylor back in and a little bit more conventional, but it's going to be a fascinating one. Ian, thanks very much indeed uh, for your for your time and your thoughts. That's been really interesting for us, and I'm sure the Burnley fans will appreciate that. Yes, well, I've I've always liked Burnley because I must tell you this: um, I went to school uh, school called St Cuthbert's in in, in Newcastle, right. and St Cuthbert's who they uh, they won the All England uh, final the year after I left, but the the, the colours were Burnley's colours, and it was because back in back in the day. Uh, so many players came from the northeast to Burnley, and uh, you know they, they were almost seen as the as, as the model for, for everyone. So the, you know that northeast connection always stayed with me. And uh, there was a guy who had a sports shop very close to where I lived called Lou Henry, who I think he was a, a reserve at Burnley uh, in the in the sixties. I don't I don't know I don't know if you're aware of the name. I I, I certainly haven't seen him in any records, but he was on their books. And I've also got a neighbour. Who's a Burnley fan as well? So I've always had a bit of a soft spot. Oh, there were there were plenty of players from the northeast. I yeah, mean, yeah. When I st- when I started following Burnley, the youth team then would probably have had six players in the starting yeah. eleven who would Absolutely. be, you know, Brian Laws. You know, yeah. play- Walls End um, Boys Club seemed to provide quite a few players. And I remember Brian Laws played against him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, it's been lovely talking to you both. Thanks very much indeed.
Well, that's it for this week on From the Be All End. We'll be back on Monday looking back on our performance at Newcastle United with all the team giving their views and opinions on that performance and our deep analysis as always. And uh, if you do enjoy uh, listening to this podcast, please tell people about it. Send a mail to WhatsApp. Leave us a review somewhere on Apple or, or anywhere, Spotify, where you listen to the listen to the podcast and do follow us on social media as well at behold podcast on twitter and facebook always nice to hear from people let us know what you think of the podcast any suggestions any ideas for guests we've got a few more coming up in the coming weeks ahead so all the best have a good weekend and up the clarets